This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello, and welcome to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia. And today, we are going to continue jumpstarting your thinking. Starting with day 66, the difficulty lies not so much in developing new ideas as in escaping from the old ones. John Maynard Keynes. Keynes. Keynes? K-E-Y-N-E-S. For years, popular thinking among physicians held that the best predictor of potential heart attacks was high cholesterol. Cardiologist Paul Ridker challenged popular thinking to find out why about half of all heart attacks occur in people with normal cholesterol levels. Despite many naysayers, he discovered that C-reactive protein, CRP, is present in the blood of those with a high risk of heart attack, and that tracking CRP better predicts heart problems than checking for elevated LDL cholesterol. Successful people question the acceptance of popular thinking, because popular thinking sometimes means not thinking. Unfortunately, many people try to live life the easy way. They don't want to do the hard work of thinking or pay the price of success. It's easier to do what other people do and hope that they thought it out. Another reason is that popular thinking brings only average results. Remember, popular equals normal equals average. It's the least of the best and the best of the least. We limit our success when we adopt popular thinking. It represents putting in the least energy to just get by. You must reject common thinking if you want to achieve uncommon results. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being popular thinking and 10 being uncommon thinking, how do you rate yourself as a thinker? Write down three examples of where you questioned popular thinking and the positive results it netted. I've got a lot of things that are all popping up at once, and I'm going to get a piece of paper to structure them all. I'm going to pass this to you first. Um... I don't know. There's there's a lot of things that it depends on your audience as to what is considered popular. For instance, um, in the dance community, going to dance events is popular. In my family, going to dance events is not popular. <laughs> so it really depends on where you draw your line, I think. However, I definitely know that I have tried to push the envelope a couple times. I know perfect example with you is line dance in space. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's kind of a hard topic right now for me to really delve into. I can jump into but one of mine. I have like four. Yes, go for it. Okay, okay. So some things that came to mind. I listen to Switched on Pop, which is a podcast about uh, pop music and um, how it's made, digging into the production aspect of it and seeing what people are doing with their lyrics and uh, melodies and structures to catch your ear and be pop music. And... I think that if I were just to write off pop music as bad uh, as they talk about a lot on the show because it's pop music, then there's a lot that I wouldn't learn about why certain things work. 
and why we're triggered in certain ways by the same four chords over and over in different songs. And I think it's also good to not only see why, why when we see something that's popular and you see why it works, like the little thumbnails on YouTube um, and the different weird things they do to make you click on stuff or clickbait article titles. Like, why does that work? It's popular. Everyone it's, or many people do it because they know that many people will click, but why does that work? Um, I think rather than just like having a backlash against popular thinking, you should see what is it that other people are responding to. Even if you're not personally responding to it, there must be something to it. Otherwise, people would ignore it and it wouldn't be popular. Uh, Also, I think it is uh, dangerous to just become like the uh, intentional iconoclast like I remember feeling like in high school. and saying like, oh, well, if everybody likes it, then it must be bad and I need to be special and different. So um, better for me to take the contrary point of view and play devil's advocate just so I can like retain my individuality. I remember that personality. Um, I, I had a couple other friends who did it, so it's not like it was the loneliest, but it was, I don't know, a little arrogant. So um, there's that. Um Aphorisms. I remember, I think it was a Tim Ferriss podcast episode. They were talking about all those sayings that have been around forever and seem cliche are probably that way because they've been effective for as long as they have. So even though it seems like it's, you know, it's been, it's been around so long that all its usefulness has been used up. There's a reason why people keep telling other people this particular saying and it's because sometimes those things really are worth applying toward your own life. Like um, little things like, you know, a watch pot never boils or never, looked a gi- uh, never look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, they seem like they are out of date because of the specific context in which they were created. But uh, the principles can still be applied today. So... Yeah, just because it's widespread doesn't mean it isn't specifically useful to you, you know, potentially at some point in the future. Uh, let's see, I already wrote that little bit here about not judging just for the sake of difference. I think just not judging in general is a good idea. Um, if you can just kind of uh, maintain an open and accepting um, feeling toward things that people like, whether it's popular or obscure. And then the other thing I've got here is small talk. And... Sometimes, if a person doesn't know you very well, uh, I've heard heard this. I heard this recently, something about small talk. Um, If a person doesn't know you very well and you just start digging right in, you know how like like in uh, the song The Good Parts, they talk about, tell me all this really important, deep, dark, secret stuff about you because that's what really matters. You have to get to that point. You have to reach a level of trust with a person and they have to know it's okay to say things that could be used to hurt them and that they they have to know that those things will not be used to hurt them. So you have to start out with small with, you know, what's the weather like? What are your favorite sports teams? And uh, what kind of music do you listen to? The common things, you know, uh, it's okay to, 
share a popular opinion for the sake of starting things off on good rapport. Like if you are in a giant stadium and you want to go on a soapbox about how the giants are terrible, then you might not make as many friends, uh, depending who's sitting around you because you're not sharing the popular opinion at a giants game, which is that the giants are great. Uh, so you start out with common ground, say things that are popularly accepted, and then you start testing the waters with, hey, what if what if this is true? Here's something that I heard. Or, you know, this is something I was thinking about. And I don't know, what are your take what's your take on this? And if they're able to take an unpopular opinion from you and not freak out and bash you over the head and tell you you're a terrible person, then you might be able to get eventually into some of that other deeper stuff that you weren't sure was okay to say. And that's how you develop friendships. So I like the idea of being able to entertain uh, both popular thoughts and unpopular thoughts and not necessarily stick to one or the other. Uh, It says here, popular thinking sometimes means not thinking. And so in, in this context, I'm suggesting that you should at least understand why something is popular so that you can have a conversation with somebody who believes it. And if you have your own personal unpopular opinion, uh, consider that as being true or untrue as well. Like you don't have all the answers if you are a normal human being like most of us. So consider that the majority might have figured something out that you haven't yet, as well as you may have something brilliant that needs to be shared with the world who all just believes wrongly, according to you. Okay, looks like you're ready for your thought. Go for it. Yeah, it finally took me long enough to find the quote. Um, so I was thinking about it, and I had sent you the quote a couple nights ago, actually, which was the quote itself, and unfortunately, forgive me, I don't know who the actual author is at the moment, is uh, better to write for yourself and have no public than to write for the public and have no self. Um, It was something that really kind of spoke to me for choreography reasons. Um, And it started to make me think that... We're adjusting the set right yeah, now. Yeah, sorry. I'm making things slightly here. distracted. Um, I do that sometimes. Okay, so it made me start wondering why people choreograph and what dances are popular and the dances that aren't popular and why. Um, what is it about that particular dance? that spoke to a majority of people and was it because someone took it and wrote for the public or the the masses and went oh people are going to like this move or did they create something that expressed themselves and because it was genuine people connected to it um and it started making me think that i would much rather choreograph a dance that expresses myself and I have fun dancing and I be the only one dancing it 
than something that I threw a bunch of what I thought would be popular steps and a bunch of people are now dancing it. I feel like for me as an artist, that would almost be hollow. And I would feel guilty every time that song and dance was played. Um, Whereas, again, like I said, I would much rather be the only one dancing it if I genuinely put everything I had into it and it was me and that is, that's where the popular versus non-popular, I think, thought possibly comes in. Um, I'm not sure what many other choreographers feel on the topic because I haven't had a chance to really ask them about it since it just occurred to me. Uh, but I think that many people that I at least admire and have had the pleasure of working with and communicating with choreography-wise would say that they would rather have it be an authentic dance than just a bunch of steps that they threw together because they seem to be the popular steps at the moment. Yeah, it's funny, though, how that works because, like, I've seen some interesting movements pop up in the last year and thought, oh, I, I don't know any other dances that do that. And then you start seeing it trickle out into a bunch of choreography to the point where when you are about to do a particular count in your own dance and you think, oh, I could do one of the, oh, no, I've seen enough of those this year. It's become too popular for me. <laughs> and it, it would feel like a, a reflection of just everything around me as opposed to something that grew from itself. Kidoki. Day 67. We must discard the idea that past routine, past ways of doing things are probably the best ways. On the contrary, we must assume that there is probably a better way to do almost everything. Donald M. Nelson. You should also question the acceptance of popular thinking because it offers false hope. Just because a lot of people are doing something does not make it a good idea. Because most people accept it does not mean it represents fairness, equality, compassion, and sensitivity. Popular thinking says, buy now with a credit card, pay later, pay later, and so people pay and pay. Many promises of popular thinking ring hollow. Popular thinking is also slow to embrace change. It loves the status quo. It puts its confidence in the idea of the moment and holds on to it with all its might, resisting change and dampening innovation. Homer Hickam grew up in a coal mining town in West Virginia where popular thinking said every young man was destined to work in the mines. Homer wanted to build rockets and become an astronaut. He fought an uphill battle to break free from the town and his father's wishes, received his education for Virginia Tech, and became an engineer at NASA training astronauts. Fighting popular thinking might be a slow process, but it's a worthwhile one. Where in your life are you on autopilot? Where are you conforming to popular thinking when you shouldn't? Write a list. Then pick one example and plan what you will do to change your thinking. Do you have thoughts on this? They're forming. Okay. I'm not sure if I have any. Slow to embrace change. False hope. I mean, I guess there's the whole American dream thing, but I'm not sure. It's not coming to me immediately how that relates to the line dance. Go ahead. Okay, so I guess the best way to describe this is 
right now, I would say that I'm kind of stuck in a transition spot in my life where I have to make decisions as to where I'm going to go. Am I staying in town? Am I moving? Am I uh, staying with my current job? Am I finding a different job? Am I staying in my current field? Or am I going to find a different field? Um, What am I doing about the dancing? What am I doing about choreography? What am I doing about events? Which events am I going to? Which events am I not going to? Um, There's a lot of like I said, transition, there's a lot of choices to be made. And it's very easy to get stuck in the popular or socially acceptable decisions or pressures that you might feel versus the unpopular, which is going to be like in theory, trying something new. Um, Not that I have been pressured specifically by family members or anything Um, to stay in town but like an example would be you know stay in town wait for the house to be rebuilt move back in with my mom help her take care of everything or they or go and explore more on my own you know um versus you know Uh, which dance events I'm going to, or even that I'm going to dance events versus staying home and taking care of my responsibilities that other people see as my responsibilities when, although yes, they might be my responsibilities, they might also be a lower priority and I've worked it in my schedule so that the responsibilities are still taken care of. They're just taken care of in a different way than what would be socially acceptable or popular. Um, spending money, a lot of money, as many of us know, on dance events is not a popular belief with my family at all. I should be saving money and I should be putting it in the bank and I should be taking care of this and that and that kind of stuff. Whereas going to dance events is what's my priority. I'm still paying my bills. I'm still taking care of that. I'm still going to work when I'm here. Um, When I'm here, I am very focused on what is going to get me to my next event. So if that means that I'm not going to Olive Garden every night and having, you know, three course meals and I'm not eating out with all my friends and I'm not going to go to the movies with all my friends and I'm not traveling all over doing all these little things that cost money whether it be you know like I said the movies or Scandia or wine tasting or dinner or anything like that I'm at home with my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches (laughs) or in your case eggs and spinach or something like that that's not necessarily the popular belief or the popular action to take um, but it's what's making me get to where I want to be so it's more of a priority so I think that that would be where I would go against the popular belief is pursuing what makes me the most happy while still taking care of responsibilities and whatnot which can be challenging at times I don't think I have as much to contribute to this one. Even the prompt, where in your life are you on autopilot? 
I don't really do a lot of popular thinking as I sit next to my sleep apparatus here in the room. Which is a what? It's a tent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I I guess I don't really have a lot on this. I mean, looking around, I've got clothes in bags hanging from hooks on the walls. I don't really have like a dresser or anything. Um, I've got a mixing board and a couple of lights for um, you know doing audiovisual things. Some people would save up for a car, and I just keep putting it into like line dance related technology. If somewhere around here, I have a 360 camera that I bought for that purpose as well. Yeah, like a lot of people say, oh yeah, put your money into a 401k, start now. That way, when you're 60, you'll be glad you did. And like, yeah, that. Or I could spend like a thousand dollars worth of you know tech stuff for maybe a project I'll work on in line dance because that would make me happy. <laughs> Who's to say I'm even going to be around in thirty or forty years to get that four hundred one k payout? It's a balance, I think. You have to do the things that are long term wise as well as uh, present term gratifying. I think we do all right with that. You seem to be in agreement. Yeah, I'm. I'm just trying. I'm I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that I could say that are like I'm genuinely on autopilot right now. And I think right now I'm just I'm too in transition for me to really be on autopilot besides maybe um just following the schedule, but even that takes effort. You know, you know what I would be interested in for both of us. Let's say if we did this in like a journaling form. It seems like from October you were in transition and then you know time goes on and we're like on our way to one event or another and I wonder if we just took like two stickers, one sticker that said transition and one sticker that said settled, how many of our days would feel like they were in the settled category versus moving from one transition to the next? <laughs> Cuz our life might just be transition. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Huh. Life of mobile instructors. Aspiring mobile instructors, huh? Uh, Day 68, I'm not an answering machine. I'm a questioning machine. If we have all the answers, how come we're in such a mess? Douglas Cardinal. Popular thinking has proved to be wrong and limiting. Questioning it isn't necessarily hard once you cultivate the habit of doing so. Begin by doing the following. Think before you follow. Many individuals follow others almost automatically. Sometimes they do so because they desire to take the path of least resistance. Other times they fear rejection, or they believe there's wisdom in doing what everyone else does. But if you want to succeed, you need to think about what's best, not what's popular. You need to be willing to be unpopular and go outside of the norm. Remind yourself that unpopular thinking is required for all progress, contains the seeds of vision and opportunity, and is largely underrated, unrecognized, and misunderstood. One of the ways to embrace innovation and change is to learn to appreciate thinking that is different from your own. To do that, you must continually expose yourself to people with different backgrounds, education levels, professional experiences, personal interests, etc. If you spend time with people who think out of the box, you're more likely to challenge popular thinking and break new ground. Browse biographies and memoirs to find a book written by or about someone you ordinarily would not relate to or with or someone with experience in an area unfamiliar to you. As you read it, take notes on how that person thought differently and what you can learn from him or her. A couple things that come to mind. We meet a lot, a lot, a lot of people at dance events as well as at different country bars and just in dance functions. But even you and I, I was noticing this last night, and I think I've noticed it before, but it's especially last night. 
So often I will have some thought about the way things are or what I've observed and you'll be like, see, now that's funny because for me, and then it'll be the opposite <laughs> all the time without fail. Uh-huh. Yeah, pretty much sums up what I was going to say. Um, yeah, it was, it's, I think it's what makes our conversation so unique and our projects so interesting is just how different we think and I know when we first started hanging out I was absolutely enraptured with how you thought like totally just engulfed in the idea that you thought so differently than me and I was so intrigued and I wanted to know possibly every possible thought that went through your head just because it was so different than my own and it still hasn't really changed (laughs) there's a lot that you're just so on the opposite field of me that I'm like, wait, what? Where did that come from? How did you see that? How did you think that? Where did what inspired that? Where, where is this going? I'm gonna follow this because I have no idea where this is going. And I would have to say, you know, four or five years ago, that probably would have very much intimidated me, and almost put me off because I would feel uncomfortable with the idea that like. I couldn't relate as opposed to, you know, the last few years, it's been more, what can I learn? What can I see? And what can I challenge with my own thoughts? And what can challenge my thoughts? And how can we communicate more clearly on what we were thinking on the same point, but opposite sides? Because we never really disagree in the sense of like a debate, but we always have a different thought, like a different side. And I find that even more intriguing that it's, it's not that you're wrong and I'm right, or I'm right. And you're wrong. It's never been that way with us. It's always, huh? Tell me more. How do you see it like that? So I I definitely think that that's huge. Um, I have been around enough different kinds of thinkers in my life to know what kind of thinkers I want to be around. And I certainly know that I want more positivity in my life than negative, even though that's similar to my own thinking. I have a really hard time with people who go to the worst case scenario first, or um, as I like to refer to it with one of my friends as my life is abysmal, Um, extreme negative side of things, when I'm so much of the, oh, sunshine and rainbows, and look at how pretty the trees are, and the wind rustling through them sounds so nice, and you know, I'm very much a celebrate life, look for the good, look for the pretty, and I wanna be around more of that. Um, but that's because I was around so much of the opposite for my life 
that it taught me what I do want. And I think that's kind of the important thing too, is the idea of learning what you want, learning what you don't want. And that comes from the idea of also being around what's popular and what's not popular and really being self-aware. I still find Rachel's thoughts fascinating, like how she would have come up with different things that she has, like just to get inside that clockwork structure and like figure out what ticks in response to what triggers. Yeah, definitely could learn a lot from her. Also, it says here, uh, browse biographies and memoirs, but it also says to people you would ordinarily not relate to. So it's it's hard to say because like I'm interested in somebody like Da Vinci because of all the interests that he had and you know, how how much he pursued as many of them as he did. So in that level, I feel like you know, I kind of relate. Um, but I guess maybe a better one would be like Steve Jobs, where he was so abrasive, uh, it seemed to the people around him. And I I try not to do that. <laughs> it doesn't really seem like a difficult thing to do. It's to like not act like the, the ways I've seen. Um, him written to act or uh, spoken of uh, as having acted and yet there's so much that you can learn from like the things that he innovated and the way he, the ways that he thought differently and had such attention to detail for certain things that normal people wouldn't think about like the internal uh, layout of a computer and like making it beautiful regardless of whether anybody's ever going to see it. Like, I think that's really interesting, but along with that, he's also got all this weird stuff like the not showering and thinking that because all he ate was, you know, fruits and vegetables, that that's what that that's all he needed. So he didn't have to shower and like things like that. Like that's different from me. (laughs) So maybe that that's an example of um, learning what you can from people who think differently than yourself taking the good with or not the good with the bad but like the useful and the less useful like i can take his appreciation of calligraphy and stillness and simplicity and not have the um turning everybody off with your smell or personality aspect which is a choice i mean it really simplifies your life when there aren't as many people hanging around you all the time so you have that time to be still and reflect on your own thoughts i guess i don't know we can move on to the next one. Day 69. The Wright brothers flew right through the smokescreen of impossibilities. Charles F. Kettering. If you are going to question popular thinking, you will have to continually question your own thinking. Anytime we find a way of thinking that works, one of our greatest temptations is to go back to it repeatedly, even if it no longer works well. The greatest enemy to tomorrow's success is sometimes today's success. In your organization, if you were involved in putting into place what currently exists, it's likely that you will resist change, even change for the better. That's why it's important to challenge your own thinking. If you're too attached to your own thinking and how everything is done now, nothing will change for the better. Most people are more satisfied with old problems than committed to finding new solutions. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? Do you avoid taking risks or trying new things? One of the best ways to get out of the rut of your own thinking is to innovate, to try new things in new ways. You can do that in little everyday ways. 
Shake up your routine this week by driving to work a different way each day. Or ask a different colleague to help you with a familiar project. Um, so the last time I did something that what is it for the first time or as a beginner? What was was it? When was the last time you? It was like near the end of the paragraph. Uh, when was the last time you did something for the first time? When was the last time you did something for the first time? Well, that would be my dance competition. Got a whole episode on that. <laughs> uh, that that would definitely be that. Um, I don't know. I guess there's certain certain times where. I really don't w- drive to work a different way anymore because it's so easy and I found a route that works that's fast and efficient and and I'm comfortable with in the sense that like I know if I leave at a certain time how much time I'm going to get to work early even if I get stopped at the lights which gives me that like not stressful drive to work which is nice um but I take, for instance, perfect example, um, leaving your house. I take like four or five different ways at night, depending on, you know, what I feel like driving. Sometimes I'm, you know, the freeway. Sometimes I'm the one back road. Sometimes I'm up and over the hill on this other back road. And, you know, it really just varies on what I feel like driving that night. Um, And that's where, like, that's, I guess, a different thing. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I like trying new things. I like being a beginner at things. Um, even if I don't stick with it and ever get past beginner, I like, I like the idea of doing things for the first time. Um, it, I think it helps you grow as an individual. Last night we went to the Davis Graduate and there were a lot of dances of course that I hadn't done for the first time because they play a lot that we know and there was another one though, Chunky, that our friend uh, Andrew had recommended. He's, it's one that we've seen them do in videos up in Reno and... You said they were teaching... Are they teaching it tonight? Uh, Thursday. I think it is tonight. Yeah. Um, and he asked if I if I knew it. And I said, no, I, I, I don't. We know Rebecca Lee and we've seen the video and you know, it looked all right. Um, and I took... It was the first time in a little while that I took the time like right then to just learn it, whether or not it got played that night in case he wanted to dance it later. So I learned it outside uh, from the the step sheet and then confirmed with um, with Rebecca's video. And I mean, I, I guess you could say that we've done that within the past year for demos. Like when people are demoing dances at events, you know, we'll learn them real quick before we run out there. Uh, but this was the first time in a little while that I just learned recreational or recreationally a dance at like a country bar uh, that I didn't know if I was ever going to dance. Because mostly when we go to these places, it's because we're teaching there. So we know the dances. <laughs> it's either Hot Monk or it's Twin Oaks. And if it's Stoney's, they don't bring in enough new stuff regularly to 
learn something that night that's going to be danced that night because somebody's really passionate about wanting to dance it. So that was kind of a new experience, I guess. And then I learned MGNO as well. Um, it was an interesting, interesting night. And definitely got to play with... Okay, that, that there's there's another place where it was different. Is that like with some dances, you're playing with old dances in new ways. But when you're learning a new dance... Uh, then you're playing with a new dance in new ways. And there were definitely places where I would get my footing off because I would like forget, oh, this is the slide. There's like a rock recover slide together. That's five, six, seven, eight. And then you twitch left, twitch left, and then slide. And then this one's a slower slide. So now the foot comes together real quick. But if I got one mixed up with the other, then I'd have to do like a quick weight switch. And then all these weird syncopations would come out of it. Like, oh, that was interesting. What did I do there? I wonder if that's going to happen later in this dance. I have no way of knowing. (laughs) And that was a refreshing way to feel like I was dancing something as a totally new experience. I hadn't seen it enough to see anyone play with it, really. And I wasn't comfortable enough with the steps to like intentionally play with it really that much. So it was just kind of like, I don't know, floating down a rapid and seeing what happens and hoping, hopefully not flipping over and sinking, uh, but also not really being in full control. Nice middle ground. So that was probably the last time I did something like that. Any other thoughts from you? I pretty much, I pretty much play with every new dance I learn by accident. So, but I totally mean to. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Day 70. All too often on the long road up, young leaders become servants of what is rather than shapers of what might be. John Gardner. When it comes right down to it, popular thinking is comfortable. It's like an old recliner adjusted to all the owner's idiosyncrasies. The problem with most old recliners is that we lose perspective about what they really look like. If we saw them with fresh eyes, we'd agree that it's time to get new ones. If you want to reject popular thinking in order to embrace achievement, you'll have to get used to being uncomfortable. It's like swimming upstream. I know because I've worked at it most of my life. Often, when I went along with what everyone else believed, down deep I knew I was not reaching my potential. When I did find the courage to go against the flow, it allowed me to break new ground and reap good results, and it allowed me to help others. If you reject popular thinking and make decisions based upon what works best and what is right rather than what is commonly accepted, know this. In your early years, you won't be as wrong as people think you are. In your later years, you won't be as right as people think you are. And all through the years, you will be better than you thought you could be. All. That's nice. To get used to being uncomfortable, do something every day for the next week in a way different from what you're used to. For instance, arrange your day in an order different from how you usually do, or listen to music that's different from what you generally like. Shake up your mind. Hmm. I do like the idea that in your early years you won't be as wrong as people think you are. We've had some pretty out there ideas. Mm. I like the idea that um, 
you can get weird in line dance, but there is at least a small fraction of people who will try it if they are close adherents to Guyton style or Fred, Rebecca, Roy, Shane. Um, and as long as the people who are learning their stuff and going out on that limb look like they're enjoying themselves, that can be enough to encourage other people by example to try whatever it is that they're trying and think you know what maybe if they're having a good time i'll have a good time too and in that way you know we we can all break out of our um our own comfort zones and in enjoying what it is that we find outside of our comfort zones we give other people permission to do the same because somebody might demo say like hot potato for example by john robinson on their own and not look like they're enjoying it. And then somebody would, without seeing the enjoyment, all they would hear is a weird song and see some weird movements and be like, well, that's, that's so strange that this person is doing this thing all alone. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but they look like really uncomfortable and awkward and cringy. But then if you see a bunch of people going out there and like really living it up, it's like, wow, I want to be part of that. Where, where do I learn this? Is there a step sheet online? Is there a tutorial video? So I guess if we get used to being uncomfortable, then we become more comfortable over time. It's like how we were saying, um, you don't need confidence to try new things because confidence means you've already, you've already had practice in it. You need to be brave because that means you haven't had practice in it and you're really just sticking your neck out there. So if we are okay with being uncomfortable, we can set a positive example for other people, um, who, we'll see that it'll be okay if they try the new weird thing. So I'm very comfortable trying new weird things with you. Awkward. No, um, <laughs> sorry, it was too easy on that one. Um, so I guess, I mean, besides just the obvious of like being a beginner, you're always going to be uncomfortable as a beginner because you're trying something new that you haven't done before. And so you're going to be experiencing a lot of new stuff that pushes your comfort zone. But you can become very complacent very quickly if you're not careful. Um, It's one of the reasons why I finally decided to start playing with the different kinds of music that I have in my choreography wish list. Like I don't have the first clue of what to do with a waltz or a rolling eight or something with like more of a samba rhythm or a polka kind of rhythm. Like I have no idea what I'm doing and it can be very scary and nerve wracking and very uncomfortable um, to try and figure out those without having knowledge. And I think that's, that's been an interesting experience for me. Now, obviously, I don't have anything together yet, and I don't have anything released, and it's all been play behind closed doors so that nobody sees <laughs> what crazy thought comes out of my head just yet. Um, as well as, you know, the competition thing. I'm not one for... It's, as weird as this might sound to some people, I'm not one to be out there and being watched. It's very uncomfortable for me. Um, demos. 
I demo with a lot of different choreographers and I love it and I hope to keep doing it and I hope to do it more. But at the same time, I am so uncomfortable out there. <laughs> but it's an adrenaline rush for me at the same time. And it's the idea that after I'm done, I did something that's outside of my comfort zone. It made me nervous. It made me excited and exhilarated and feel all these different emotions because it's so outside of my comfort zone. But it's something that I did. Something I figured out how to push through and take the risk and do it. Um, And it's interesting to me just how many choreographers are uncomfortable out there demoing their dances. I don't know if I've actually heard any choreographer say that they love demos. I do. <laughs> I only have to do them in competition, though. And I guess Palm Springs. Palm Springs, yeah. But, like, it's just one of those things where so many of them will talk about how nervous it makes them or how uncomfortable it is or how, you know, whatever emotion they feel but none of them say like they absolutely love it i mean you're i guess you're the only one and i think for me and this was definitely the case during competition usldcc last year uh, i don't finish dances that i'm not excited to do um if i if i'm working on a dance at all it's because i like the song and i want to listen to it like all the time and I'm obsessed with it and I can't get rid of it from my head. So I just need to do something with it and process it all. And when the time comes to demo it for the competition or for teaching it, in my mind, that's not what some people would consider to be like, oh, I have to sell it or I have to convince people to come to the class or anything like that. For me, it's like, no, I get like 30 seconds to dance this. Awesome. I love this song. And I I think this dance like really captures it. So I'm just excited to get to do it, even if it's for you know two walls. So that's my experience of it is that I'm doing the dance for real. Like not like I'm only doing a sample of a dance or I'm doing the pretty version of the dance or I'm doing the really vanilla but energetic version of the dance i'm just dancing it and if i'm not in a position where i want to dance that dance then i'm not going to demo it i'm not going to show it to anyone or enter it into any competition it's just going to be a little fun project that i did but i have to be able to dance it honestly or not at all Uh, what about when when you demo for other people i have to like the dance yeah and it's not to say that dances that I have not demoed are ones that I don't like by default. Sometimes I just don't know them. Sometimes I wish I knew them in time. Um, or sometimes they're you know, being taught brand new at that event and I have only gotten to see them like once before they're being demoed there and it was like when we arrived in the lobby or something. So uh, you know, when possible, I try to turbo learn those, but... Uh, you know, if not, then that's okay. And that, again, that's only if it looks so exciting for me to dance that I want to have at least 45 seconds to do it that night because I can't wait till it's taught tomorrow. Well, let's see. Do something every day for the next week in a way different from what you're used to. 
I done things differently than the way that I'm used to? Hmm. Lately, we've been in kind of this nice valley of excitement <laughs> between other things. Um, yeah, my food has been pretty pretty normal lately. I guess, I mean, I have been ha- having a lot of protein drinks. I bought soy milk instead of regular milk, so that's different from what I normally put in a protein drink. Okay. Yeah. Um, you should try Fairlight. Megan suggests I should try Fairlife, which I guess is lactose-free milk. Yeah, uh, yeah, things have been pretty normal around here, which you know, compared to other people, is pretty bizarre. But uh, for us, it's fine. <laughs> All right. Actually, you know what? Since we're in the tail end of day seventy here, I'm thinking now is a great time for a stretch break. And since we were talking about music that uh, that you can listen to that's different from what you normally would listen to. I've got a track here that I had considered for choreography. Maybe I still will. I haven't fully decided. Um, And it is by Jang Yoon Jong, and it is a cover of the song One Night Only. So enjoy this. We will be back with more later. Hello and welcome back to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia. And we are back with some more jump starting of thinking, starting with day 71. None of us is as smart as all of us. Ken Blanchard. Good thinkers, especially those who are also good leaders, understand the power of shared thinking. They know that when they value the thoughts and ideas of others, they receive the compounding results of shared thinking and accomplish more than they ever could on their own. They understand the following. Shared thinking is faster than solo thinking. We live in a truly fast-paced world. To function at its current rate of speed, we can't go it alone. Working with others is like giving yourself a shortcut. If you want to learn a new skill quickly, you can always learn more quickly from someone with experience, whether you're trying to learn how to use a new software package, develop your golf swing, or cook a new dish. Shared thinking is more innovative than solo thinking. We tend to think of great thinkers and innovators as soloists, but the greatest innovative thinking doesn't occur in a vacuum. Shared thinking leads to greater innovation, whether you look at the work of researchers Marie and Pierre Curie, or songwriters John Lennon and Paul McCartney. If you combine your thoughts with the thoughts of others, you will come up with thoughts you've never had. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 indicating that you never ask others for input, and 10 indicating that you nearly always invite others to share their ideas, how do you rate yourself as a shared thinker? Write down three examples of where you shared thinking and the positive results it netted. I'd say it's pretty high up there with the shared thinking. I like to hear other people's ideas and thoughts and opinions so I'd probably put myself at like an 8 or a 9 honestly Um, every once in a while you really just don't want to hear someone's opinion on something or their thoughts on something Um, so I wouldn't say I was perfect by any means but um, I really I like people's input I like people's feedback um I will definitely ask for it. 
Um, however, I'd have to say that I am a very big believer of don't ask a question that you're not ready to get any possible answer for. Uh, it can be very scary. And if you're not ready for any possible response, you you can uh, get blindsided pretty quickly and get very discouraged. And that that's where I think it helps getting a couple different people's feedback. For instance, like you had mentioned choreography, getting a couple different people at least because if you get one person that likes it, then cool. Yeah, they like the dance. But if five other people see an issue with the second eight count to that one person, then obviously those five other people's opinions are going to be more conducive to having a better dance because your odds are, oh, I need to fix this part as opposed to the one person who liked it. There's a saying I like, uh, it's something along the lines of if one person calls you a horse, you know, they're foolish, laugh it off. If two people call you a horse, there is a conspiracy afoot. If three people call you a horse, get a saddle. Um, yeah. Uh, definitely you should know when you are asking, when you think you're asking for advice, that's really just asking for validation of what you already want to think. Because if you think that your dance is done and amazing and great and you go into some... Um, conversation hoping that they're going to agree but you phrase it as give me your honest feedback you're gonna get honest feedback <laughs> and it might not be that your dance is great and done and publish it immediately um, be ready for everything to get upended uh, we have scrapped an entire dance completely uh, this January and just started over fresh because uh, we went to somebody for actual feedback on it and there wasn't a whole lot there to work with. <laughs> so we retooled the entire thing and entered it into competitions. It's done all right. You know, some people seem to like it here and there. Uh, but we had to be ready to accept that possibility that it might not be as clever or fun or original as our enthusiasm might have us believe it is or make us want to believe it is. So sometimes, you know, they say you should never beat yourself up. Like um, you know, if you are trash talking yourself and taking your own self-worth down, then you, know, you should tell yourself, well, I wouldn't let my friends talk. I wouldn't let somebody talk to my friends that way. So I shouldn't let myself do it. But to some extent you kind of have to, check yourself before you wreck yourself um, you need to um, look at the thing that you're proposing and say okay what if I'm wrong what if the opposite is true um, what would that sound like what's like the worst thing that could be said about this and then just keep finding weaknesses in whatever it is that you've created until 
you think that you have removed most of them having done due diligence and then show it to someone else because if they are still able to find something after that then thank goodness because you did all that work and you still didn't find it you needed somebody else to find it for you um I think it's also important not to share a draft that you feel like you have to apologize for all the time. Like if, if you come up with something solid and you show it to somebody and they're able to find places where it could be made even better then that's good. But if you are coming up with something and, and you just have to keep explaining away, like, Oh, well, yeah, but I mean, this is just half done. So, or this is just a draft. So don't judge it as it is, but judge it for the potential of the amazing dance that it could be and should be. Tell me how great that is. Like, no, come up with whatever you think that's actually supposed to be and then show somebody and then they can give you feedback on what is there. Um, But yeah, like attempting to get somebody's feedback almost wastes their time if if like they're saying okay so you could change this this and this and like oh well those were just filler steps i i wasn't actually going to use any of those i wasn't keeping any of that stuff that's when you should probably just leave a big hole in the dance and not have them try to modify something that you didn't want to be modified in the first place because it wasn't supposed to be there originally a lot of choreography stuff involved in this shared thinking i think is also really important for event managing because you might have an idea of what what's going to make for a really fun event for you and your personality type and your dance interests and somebody else on the other spectrum of energy level and maybe age and mobility is going to have a different idea and you want this to be something that everyone can enjoy together you know everybody dancing together so sharing the thinking across a spectrum of potential attendees to your event will give you more insights on what you should offer that you wouldn't have thought of that somebody else might like somebody who gets dehydrated really easily you know they they would appreciate having a lot of water stands around but if that's not a problem for you then you would think oh no they're they're going to be more hungry so we sh- we should put out like cheese and peanuts and pretzels and all these other salty things probably want to run that by some people otherwise you end up with a lot of cotton mouth kind of like i have right now got some sticky sound effects going on that's fun moving on (laughs) day 72 to accept good advice is but to increase one's own ability johann wolfgang von goethe as much as we wish we know it all, we all have our blind spots and areas of inexperience. When I first started out as a pastor, I had dreams and energy but little experience. To try to overcome that, I attempted to get several high-profile pastors to share their thinking with me. When one said yes, I'd visit him. I listened intently, took careful notes, and absorbed everything I could. Those experiences changed my life. Shared thinking brings more maturity than solo thinking. You've had experiences I haven't, and I've had experiences you haven't. Put us together and we bring a broader range of personal history, and therefore maturity, to the table. If you don't have the experience you need, connect with people who do. Shared thinking is also stronger than solo thinking. Two horses pulling together are stronger than either is individually. 
But did you know that when they pull together, they can move more weight than the sum of what they can move individually? A synergy comes from working together. That same kind of energy comes into play when people think together. Continuing with yesterday's thought, if you gave yourself a score lower than a 7, I totally forgot to do that, do some soul searching and write down why you feel reluctant to include others in the process. Shared thinking is the easiest kind of thinking to improve because it's based on attitude, not talent. Why do I feel... Let's do some soul searching. Why do you feel reluctant to include others in the process? Huh. Well, I'm not sure where this fits in, but it just came to mind. Um, It was that same thing that I've mentioned in previous episodes that came from the Tim Ferriss uh, podcast where there's some guy, I want to say it's either Seth Godin or Kevin Kelly, who tries to give away ideas. And if no one wants to take them, like he wants, he actively wants people to take his ideas and do something with them because he still wins. Whatever their enactment is of the idea, he gets to live in a world where that's reality. Um, He tries to give his ideas away, and if if he is not able to stop thinking about the idea himself, if it bugs him and keeps him up at night, then he'll work on it himself. But otherwise, he tries to share his thinking as much as he can. I guess we kind of do that. We give away a lot of ideas on the show. Uh, hopefully people are doing something with them. Otherwise... You know, if we can't stop thinking about it, eventually we're going to have to do them ourselves. That's a lot of hard work. It takes away from all of our other hard work. <laughs> uh, let's see what the main paragraph was about again. Oh, it just turned the page on itself. So let's see. Shared thinking brings more maturity than solo thinking. That's true. Yeah, um, that's another thing we've talked about is that if you are... trying to make your stuff the best it possibly can be and in the most fun and the most interesting, then you can share your thinking with the choreographer next door. And maybe they just kind of know the same dances. You and go to the same country bar as you. And that's fine. Like it's better than nothing. It gives you a sounding board from your ideas and gives you their perspective and uh, whatever their experience is, but maybe that's only like two to three years of experience knowing like 40 or 50 dances and only a narrow band of styles. If you are going um, in addition or instead to somebody who has been doing it for 20 or 25 years and has seen all these different styles come and go and um, knows what makes a dance enjoyable in all of those different genres and has seen enough patterns come around that they can say, oh, yeah, I remember that was really popular. Then that move, that came up a lot in like 1997, the whole brush thing or whatever it might be. Um, But, you know, it's been a while. I think we can bring it back. Like they can be the barometer of what's what's going to be um, accepted in the near future based on the cycles that they have seen. Whereas somebody who does not have that wider perspective might say, oh yeah, this is, uh, this is cool. I don't think this has ever been done before. And then you find out it's in like three classic dances that are done everywhere, but you just didn't see them because you are aware you are in your tiny bubble. So yeah, the, the bigger you aim as far as who can give you, uh, advice and feedback, like uh, Bigger meaning, you know, the the widest breadth of experience you can draw from uh, for the person's like decades of 
experience in the field or whatever, um, then the more, even though you can't soak up everything they know, the more will trickle down to you um, and you know make you slightly richer wisdom-wise in the process. But also you should try a lot and develop your own wisdom. Here you go. So there was a thought, let me see the book, that happened pretty early on. So it says, the very first sentence was, as much as we wish we knew it all, we all have our blind spots and areas of inexperience. So I was thinking about that when it comes to instructing. And I know I've said it tons of times before, but I love sitting in on lessons and taking lessons from other instructors because I learn so much about instructing. And whether it's, I like that, that was a really good way of explaining that particular step, or that was something I don't plan on emulating, whatever it is, I still learn. Um, I watch how they will watch their classes. I watch how they move around the floor to show different walls. I watch how they present themselves and the dance and I've gotten better because I've taken my inexperience and used that as a opportunity to learn from the more experienced instructors. Um, I loved taking Made in the Shade from both Joe and Rachel and months apart from each other. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, they have such different teaching styles, but they're so good. Both of them are so amazingly e- efficient and entertaining, and they make the classes memorable and enjoyable, but they have such a unique style that is their own, which when I was first learning about the idea of wanting to become an instructor, I was really paying attention to and trying to figure out, okay, there are several different methods to instructing dance. Um, I'm going to have to find the one that works best for me. However, like I said, you know, like I watch and I watch and I watch and I try and learn from different people and I try and get inspired by them as well in hopes that it's going to make my lessons more engaging, more memorable, more fun, and hopefully inspire somebody else. And that's just that's just instructing. Same thing with choreography. I mean, bless her heart. I bug Joe so much <laughs> about choreography stuff, um, about listening to rhythms of music about all this different stuff and she will just answer until the cows come home she'll give whatever she thinks and how she hears it and what she sees and what she feels and I feel like I've learned so much just from those like little conversations that we've had about things as well as excuse me how to give feedback because I've listened to how she's worded things. And I've listened to how um, Amy has worded things. And I've listened how 
uh, Ruben has worded things and it made me realize that like, I can't just be like, I don't like that step. I need to explain why the step doesn't work for me. Um, or realize why it doesn't work for me and see what, if there is like a small like weight shift variation that I can do to get into it differently, or if it's just one of those flow problem kind of situations. Um, I know I've asked Jono before, how do I give feedback? Um, because I don't want to come off as like, oh my God, that was awful. Um, as well as I've taken when Rachel gave me feedback. And instead of giving me feedback and saying, well, that didn't really work. She said, she said something along the lines of like, well, why don't you, have you thought about doing it this way? Or um, like I have, instead of going forward, have you thought about going backwards? You know, like, and that's all it took for me to like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I could go backwards and like rework my steps a little bit. And then it changed it to moving backwards. So, you know, there was that. And I've gotten, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to give feedback to some friends. And instead of being like, mm, well, I heard something completely different from what you did. I got to ask the question along the lines of, well, what areas are you feeling stick in the dance or where are you having troubles with the dance? What doesn't feel right to you that you're not 100% sold on that movement? And that allowed them to really analyze the dance and pick out the parts that they wanted the help on as opposed to the overall dance. For someone like me who hears something completely different from them to go through and rework the whole thing. I can focus on those couple little spots um, and give them feedback in a sense of kind of like Rachel did. Well, have you thought about going backwards instead? Instead of going backwards, what about to the side? And so they got to play with it and figure out what worked best for them as opposed to me being like, well, here's some steps I would do. Um, and I think that allowed them to really own their dance. And although I gave very minimal feedback, it still allowed them to feel confident in what they released. Um, so I think it's important that we all understand the different levels of experience, like you were mentioning, and go to different personalities and, and people with different mindsets because I think that's what's going to give you the best overall feedback and um, response and potential room for growth. All right. Day 73. He that is taught only by himself has a fool for a master. Ben Johnson. Because shared thinking is stronger than solo thinking, shared thinking yields a higher return of value. That happens because of the compounding action of shared thinking, but it also offers other benefits. The personal return you receive from shared thinking and experiences can be great. Clarence Francis sums up the benefits in the following observation. 
I sincerely believe that the word relationships is the key to the prospect of a decent world. It seems abundantly clear that every problem you will have, in your family, in your work, in our nation, or in this world, is essentially a matter of relationships, of interdependence. I believe that every great idea begins with three or four good ideas, and that shared thinking is the only way to have great thinking. When I was in school, teachers rarely put the emphasis on working together to come up with good answers, yet all the answers improve when they make the best use of everyone's thinking. If we each have one thought and together we have two thoughts, we always have the potential for a great thought. Pick a difficult challenge you are currently facing and assemble a group of people to help you think about it. Define and analyze the problem together and then brainstorm solutions together. Which reminds me, there are some counts in a dance that I'm currently working on that I will want to... Well, two different dances. I have two different dances that I'm going to need to work on uh, at some point today and then send results to um, other people who would like to see those results. <laughs> so that's very relevant. Hmm. I like the idea of emergent thinking and emergent processes where one person has like one part of the map and the other person has the other part of the map and it doesn't make sense to either of them, but when they put them together or overlap one onto the other, then the whole pattern becomes clear. I like that stuff. I feel like I've kind of talked about this topic a little bit <laughs> in the last topic, in the idea of like learning off of each other. Um, it's probably one of my favorite reasons as to why I love co-choreography. Because um, kind of like you said, like one person has the map, the other person ha or has half the map, the other person has the other, and then together you understand the whole thing. Um, I do think that it, it allows for a stronger potential of a dance. Now, obviously, sometimes that's not always the case, but... I think having two different perspectives, although during the process can be frustrating, um, I think both individuals grow as a choreographer as well as being able to hear different things in the music allows the dance to be flushed out a little bit more as opposed to here's some steps. Oh, that was a really cool hook. Here's some more steps. Like you can have more of a flow um, where it's like, the, oh, I like this part. Oh, but I like this part too. Oh, but there's the hook. Oh, but that's part's cool too. Okay, yeah, that was a little bit filler, but that's okay. You know, it it allows for, I think, a more well-rounded dance. And I know working with the few people that I've worked with co-choreography-wise has really helped me as a choreographer see different things in the music and see how they heard things so that the next time I listen, I can kind of hear what they were trying to hear. Um, now, I think there's people who are on a whole nother plane than me that I am nowhere near their level yet, i.e. perfect example, uh, Roy, little Roy. I, th I think there's just something about the way he hears music that unless I was around him 24-7, I don't think I would be able to hear it the way he does. Um, I can certainly appreciate how he hears it 
with his dances and how they feel and how they hit certain things. But um, it's certainly something that I would have to spend a lot of time working on. And I don't, I don't know if I have that much time in a day with my other priorities. Um, but it's very interesting to me listening to the same piece of music and who hears what syncopation, who hears what kind of movements, who hears uh, if you can dance through it versus a tag restart situation um, and what the dance itself makes them feel difficulty level wise when they're creating it. Like some people will go into it and be like, I'm shooting for this level. Some people are like, I'm just going to see where the dance takes me, you know. Um, I think it's interesting how people can learn from each other. One hitting all of the baseline, one hitting all the lyrics and coming together to blend so that both the baseline and the lyrics are being hit. So you get, a, like I said, a fuller flushed out dance. Um, I think that's I think it's just one of the really cool processes and bonuses of co-choreography pick a difficult challenge you are currently facing and assemble a group of people to help you think about it we still haven't figured out how we're going to do our tour bus o-line dance but i think we don't have a group of people who are that i know on how the, to uh, do it i just don't know how to get the money to do it yeah there's that it's the money i think it's also still the people <laughs> We don't have a group of people. We have a two of people. Eh, we're enough people the way we dance. All right. Day 74. Listening to advice often accomplishes far more than heeding it. Malcolm Forbes. Interesting idea. Listening to advice often accomplishes far more than heeding it. Some people naturally participate in shared thinking. Anytime they see a problem, they think, who do I know who can help with this? Leaders tend to be that way. So do extroverts. However, you don't have to be either of those to benefit from shared thinking. To help you improve your ability to harness shared thinking, first value the ideas of others. If you don't, your hands will be tied. How do you know if you truly want input from others? Ask yourself these questions. Am I emotionally secure? People who lack confidence and worry about their status, position, or power tend to reject the ideas of others, protect their turf, and keep people at bay. It takes a secure pe person to encourage, to consider others' ideas. Do I place a value on people? If you don't value and respect a person, you won't value his or her ideas. If you value people, you want to spend time with them, listen to them, want to help them, are influenced by them, and respect them. Do I value the interactive process? A wonderful synergy often occurs as a result of shared thinking with those who bring informed opinions on a subject. It can take you places you've never been. Write your answers to the three questions in today's reading to assess how much you truly want input from others. Am I emotionally secure? People who lack confidence and worry about their status position rather than a secure person consider Yeah, I'd say so. I think I've been weird long enough that I just kind of have to live with it. <laughs> I'm not going to be a lot of the things that I have seen others be over time. And I don't, I don't know if I, if it's the case that I don't know how to be drastically different from how I am, 
but I don't think I want to be because I think things are all right the way things are. And it's not really worth all of the push to to go beyond that and be like Johnny Quarterback 235 um, with you know a yacht and a home in the hills. Like, why would I do that to myself? There's so much I would have to do to do that. And it's not even going to be rewarding at the end of it. So yeah, I'm emotionally secure. I accept a lot. And I think my emotions go with me in that. Because sometimes you can think things and your emotions and your body won't agree. And be like, no, this is how you feel about it. Like, but I don't want to feel that way about it. That's not smart. Like, no, but you feel that way anyway. Cry about it. Like, okay, let's let's get back to baseline. I, I find myself being uh, able to get to baseline very quickly. Do I place value on people? Yes, I do. I get real cabin fevery after a while. If uh, And it goes the other way, too. If I've been around too many people for too long, I need me time. Gotta have it. Gotta just watch The Office or do whatever I need to do so that I miss people again, and then I can go out and be social and be with people. But until that happens, I'm going to want to be in my cave. And, you know, it goes back and forth. I generally have a sense of when I need to do which one, so I'm not forcing either of them. Do I value the interactive process? I can. Um, To the extent that it's fun and easy, I can. If it is made more complicated than necessary, or if you're waiting too long and the moments has passed, uh, or if, if people are just so different that your expectations of how things were going to go end up being radically different than you learn from it. But you also probably don't want to like replicate that experience. So I'm still learning what kinds of interaction I like and which ones I value, as they say. Because there are some that you think would work out great, and then you try them, and it's like, wow, all right. Hmm, maybe we won't do this for the next iteration. But then other times, things happen, and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know it could be this easy and this fun and this low pressure. So then you want more of that. You try to figure out how did the first one happen? How did the second one happen? What did it depend on? What were the factors? How can I isolate those and only replicate the good ones? What are your answers to those three questions? All right. I'm going to do them in reverse order because I can. Do I value the interactive process? Yes, I do. Very much so. Um, You make some very good points. I might not always like (laughs) the results of my interactive processes, but I value them very much so because I think everything happens for a reason. I think you learn from everything. Um, or you have the potential to learn from everything, I guess I should say. Do I place a value on people? I very much do in the sense that everybody starts out at the idea that they are human, so they automatically get that kind of respect. It's from there that they then earn more trust and more respect and more admiration or they don't i they never get they never go lower than they're a human being so they deserve to be treated as such um and but yes there is certainly people different people's opinions that i'm going to value much higher than others 
Um, and that is because of the relationship I have specifically created with those individuals. You know, I, I like to hear everybody's opinions. I like to hear everybody's thoughts. I like to hear everybody's, you know, feedback, but at the same time, you know, one person saying you did a really good job, that's like perfect. I guess I can't say perfect example, but like a good example would be like one of my friends or my sister. She said like, oh, that's a really cool dance. That's really, I like it a lot. I would value that. Absolutely. I have a relationship with them. But if someone that is in the dance community with as many years of experience as say Rachel or Michael Barr or Simon Ward or Joe came up and they told me that this dance was really, really well done. It was put together or in your case, the dance was perfect. That is a different kind of value that I put on that opinion because they have the years of experience um, and the years of their own choreography. And for me, and it's very bad and I feel very guilty about this, but my sister and my friends are supposed to say that, <laughs> you know, they're supposed to say that they like my dance because, you know, they're my friends and they're my sister. They're supposed to support me, blah, blah, blah. Not that they wouldn't tell me if they didn't like the dance because the type of friends I have are very honest, <laughs> but it unfortunately to a certain degree um, takes away a little bit, whereas if someone coming from the professional standpoint comments on it, it's a little bit different. Um, am I emotionally secure? No. <laughs> and yes. Um, there is, there's a lot of things that I'm very confident about and very comfortable with and very proud of and very emotionally stable and almost to the point of giddy happy. Um, and then there's other things. There's always going to be self-doubt. There's always going to be the what if question. It's just a matter of how long you dwell on it. Um, we all ask ourselves like, what could we be better at? How could we look better? How could we dance better? How could we talk uh, better? How could we sound smarter? How can we be more appealing to people? How can more people like us? Um, how can we get that promotion? What can we do more of? And so there's always that potential of looking at that as a, what am I not doing? And kind of beat yourself up possibility. And we're human. We all have those kind of moments and we all have those kind of days um, where we just really kind of look down and go, well, what was wrong with me? And again, like I said, it's one of those situations where you can't live there. Have your little pity party, whatever, stand up, move on. You know, yeah, you can have that, what's wrong with me? Why am I not good enough? And then realize that maybe it's that not that you're not good enough, but that's not the situation you're supposed to be in. You know, it's, it's one of those situations where you have to look at, not necessarily what you did or what they did 
or why it's not working or why you're not being promoted or you're not getting hired on an events or your dances aren't taking off so much as a, okay, well, what can you do better to make that happen if that's something you genuinely want and know that sometimes it's going to work out and sometimes it's not. It's just where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. So am I emotionally secure? Yes and no. Day 75. Always be on the lookout for ideas. Be completely indiscriminate as to the source. Get ideas from customers, children, competitors, other industries, or cab drivers. It doesn't matter who thought of an idea. Jeffrey J. Fox. A person who values cooperation and shared thinking desires to complete the ideas of others, not compete with them. If someone asks you to share ideas, focus on helping the team, not getting ahead personally. Move from competition to cooperation. And if you are the one who brings people together to share their thoughts, praise the idea more than the source of the idea. If the best idea always wins, rather than the person who offered it, all will share their thoughts with greater enthusiasm. When I spend time with someone to share ideas, I have an agenda. I know what I want to accomplish. The more I respect the wisdom of the person, the more I listen. For example, when I meet with someone I'm mentoring, I let the person ask the questions, but I expect to do most of the talking. When I meet with someone who mentors me, I mostly keep my mouth shut. In other relationships, the give and take is more even. But no matter with whom I meet, I have a reason for getting together and an expectation for what I'll give to it and get from it. Examine every appointment or meeting you have listed for the coming week. That's easy for you. You have a journal. Write down an objective for each. Interact with that objective in mind. Afterward, jot down any ideas that may have come as a result. Do you have objectives for your various things? Or do you just go to them? I just go to my gigs. Um, I hope that there's fun. It depends. Like, for instance, um, what I'm going to. I mean, everything has an objective, obviously. You go to work to work to get paid. <laughs> so there's an objective and a goal that you're after. I go to teach dance so that I can teach dance. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, but, for instance, like tonight, my objective is going to be for people to have fun and learn new dances and for people to have an enjoyable time and get that social bonding and be able to blow off some steam and whatever else that they need to to just make it really worth their while to come out and learn dance. And my objective is just do the best to my ability to give them that opportunity. So it really just kind of varies on what I'm doing. Obviously, you know, I show up to brunch to socialize and to eat. I mean, those are pretty straightforward objectives. You know, it's, there's certain things like that. However, there's also other things where my objective can be to learn as much as humanly possible off of this 20 minute conversation that I get to have with this person. Um, there's much deeper things of the idea of, you know, I'm going to take this night off and really just focus on me and letting me decompress because 
I've been going a thousand miles an hour um, for the last two months, you know. So having that objective of I need to, you know, hide from the world or ghost as you have referred to it as um, can be very important as well. I mean, there's all different kinds of things that you need and want to get out of something. Um, we don't do anything just to do it. There's always a reason. It's just of how basic or deep the reason might be. Mm. Well, I don't know. Something I was thinking of recently was like meditation. And when you go for a walk, and one of the reasons that I stopped going for walks just for being walks, even though so many health things tell you a walk in nature will do this for your mind and refresh the senses and connect you with nature. And meditation, I used to do it a lot more regularly, but it would, after a while it drove me nuts that there was no end to it. Like you just are supposed to do it. But that can be a healthy exercise in looking at the value of things in life. Because if you sit just to sit, and if you walk just to walk, not to go somewhere or to buy something from the store, but just to walk and then come home, then it kind of helps you reflect on the absurdity of doing anything. Like you look at those things and you say, well, that's that's pointless. Like why would you, why would you do that? It's just walking around and... and Nothing is achieved. Nothing lasting occurs, but nothing lasting ever occurs. Like when you think about your great, 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 great grandparents, like how much do you know about them? Do you know their names? Do you know what they liked? Do you know what they cared about and what they were working towards? All you know is that you're alive and you have genes that kind of are descended from theirs, but their stuff didn't last. Their lives did, their lives did not last. And Everything that seems important to you right now, like all those feelings that you have, they had feelings like that because they were human too. But where are all those feelings now? They've evaporated and turned into like plants. So having those little exercises of no objective and just breathing so that you can sit and breathe, not even having like appreciation meditation or sending blessings into the world meditation, but just literally sitting and then not getting up and breathing. That can help you look at all the other things that you do that you think are so important in your life and are, are going to just make such an impact on your next five years that you won't remember in six months. You'll be like, oh, I'm stressing out way more than I need to. This is silly. It's all pointless. <laughs> I've actually had to connect more with that with dance lately. I was start, I was noticing to myself that a lot of the dances I was learning, I was thinking, oh, well, I will dance this one at this place and I will do this one with these people. And this is one that these people in this state might like because they like this one and that means that they can dance this one with these people. And telling our SoCal people, hey, these are ones you should learn for Vegas. I'm getting to the point now, like I think it was that, that, that marathon that we did on, on, on the 6th as mentioned before, has you know given me so many new thoughts to to roll around in my head, and one of them is that it was such a natural thing that I used to know, which was you can just dance something because it looks fun. It doesn't matter where you're going to dance it; 
or who you're going to dance it with or why this one's important because it's a classic or this one you should get on because it's going to be danced everywhere for the next year. You can just you can look at some classics and be like, that's great. I see that they play this all the time. It's still not a priority. I don't think I'm going to have fun with it. Or you've learned it and you've danced it. And you're like, all right, now I know what that's like, but I'm still not having fun with it. <laughs> and then you can look at these weird dances that either nobody's doing anymore or nobody has ever actually done outside of the choreographer. And if you like the song, doesn't matter if it's not going to get played anywhere. Just dance it because you like the song and you want to hear the song and move around to it for a few minutes. Or song change a dance so that you can hear that song instead of learning an existing dance for it because that's the dance for it at the beginner level or that's the only dance anyone created for it at the intermediate level. Be like, yeah, but I prefer doing Dizzy to it, so I'm going to do Dizzy to it. So that's just how it is. <laughs> like, that's okay. That, and I remember that being so much more natural feeling before a lot of things happened and before our, our lives changed in so many ways. You could just dance for dancing. And request dances not because it's important that the bar see these and maybe they'll pick them up and learn them on their own or to get a video of it so that people you know in an area 500 miles away can decide whether they want to bring that to that bar no you can just dance it and not record it and not write it down anywhere and just have a good time with it and no one needs to know about it i think that's okay i think it's okay to have those experiences where did this all come from? <laughs> oh, objectives. Having objectives to the things that you do. Yeah, you can you can just live like a dog. They they take the day for what it is and if they have thoughts about whether they want that to happen again, they don't say anything. They just they they re, they might react a certain way. But they're just kind of like living in the present. I think that's a good way to do it with dance. Could be. There are other things as well like upholding tradition and you know honoring the past but the present is very important i think joe does a really good job with that all right the time is now 351 and we just ended on a very clean number which was day 75 so now i'm gonna take a look at the list of dances we did last night at the davis graduate yeah okie dokie i actually didn't write down the time that we left but i believe it was about midnight when we departed uh we arrived for the lesson of mgno at mm, a couple minutes well, we got there a couple minutes to nine, and I ran over to Trader Joe's and picked up some food. I think I got like the sushi, and I had a couple of their free coffee samples, and something else was in my hand. I don't remember what it was. Do you remember what else it was? I thought I got like three things. Oh, I got mints. Was I that... have no idea because I was inside. Oh, yeah, you were inside. You were taking the lesson. <laughs> uh, I, I learned the uh, the dance by other means, so I was not inside for the lesson until they put music on. All right, so we had the lesson, which was about, what, 30, 40 minutes, do you think? When did they start, about 9.30? Yeah. Lesson was MGNO, taught by Kerry Walker. Uh, After that was The Wolf at 9.58 p.m. Then Aces and Eights, and they danced it to Dead Man's Hand. Yay. Yay. I would have done it. Uh, I, I would have done Whip It if they had done Aces and Eights with the song Whip It, uh, but they kept it to the original, so I actually re-picked up uh, Aces and Eights. I haven't done that in a little while. After that was Best Adventure, then Tropicana Parking Lot. I forgot to write down what song they used. 
Uh, Mr. Put It Down AB, We Are Tonight, All Shook Up, uh, Slappin' Leather, but the song that they used was The Race Is On. So it was suggested by one of our dancers, Cough Megan, Cough Cough, that we do KS for Kicks on the side instead, which we did. We also threw in some like tags and things because it helped sync it up better. There's some really weird like two and four count tags that happen in that song. Anyway, uh, Southside Shake, River City Cha-Cha, and the song was When the Sun Goes Down by, I believe, Kenny Chesney. And then Sidekick, MGNO, Can't Walk Away, Woot. Uh, Lonely Drum, Make You Stay, The Outlaw, uh, Stomp Like What, Booty Shaken, Boomerang. And I actually did Boomerang. Yes, I did. I was very shocked when I. I was very shocked when I looked up and you were not in the booth and you were on the dance floor instead. Indeed, four on the floor, born to love, chunky, which I had learned earlier that night. I like it loud, cowboy cha cha, two step, which was not the two step line dance, but just people two stepping around the outside. Country girl, shake it for me, slash shake it for me. So Kevin Richards and Larry Bass. I'm free to the song Barefoot and Buck Wild because none of us could remember the dance Barefoot and Buck Wild by Donna Manning. Um, by the time we started looking at the step sheet, it was already too late in the song. After Party to the song... I don't know what the song was. I didn't write it down. Uh, Dukes and Boots. Dance Her Home. Continental Cowboy to the song Beer Money. And I, as I mentioned last night, there was a dance in SoCal to Beer Money that I think I learned a long time ago and I wanted to get it back so that I could do that I could like listen to that song more often and dance something to it but I have not done that recently enough so just sat out of that one another two step at 11.35pm Sugar Honey IT Gun Control Make a Little Love and I don't think it was Rick's but I think it was to the same song that Rick Dominguez used for his dance for Make a Little Love. Get Ugly Boots, Umbop, to the song Tricky. Uh, it's tricky, 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 tricky. It's tricky to rock a rock. Well, we did JR Drop on the side. That was Megan and myself, who's looking very intently at her phone at something terribly important, I'm sure. After that uh, was Undos Trace to the song Try Everything, and I was meaning to get up and do it before the end. But I didn't get there in time. I think I was talking with Keith or something. After that was Power Mix, which I think Keith had actually requested. I was surprised that he knew that one. Uh, Hooked. I think that might be Dustin's, but I'm going to have to double check. Yes. It Was it Dustin? Yeah, we'll have to double check that. After that was another two-step. And then Ain't Too Cool, which I did dance. And then uh, Gimme Gimme, which closed the night at about 12 a.m. They didn't do a slow song or anything. They just kind of ended on Gimme Gimme. So there was a lot in there that um, because it had been so long since we'd gone out to the grad or Stoney's, I ended up dancing that I might not normally dance, but it still felt good to do all the stuff that we danced. I danced pretty much everything that I could other than like that Undo's Trace that I meant to dance. Everything else, I either didn't know it or it was a partner dance or yeah, pretty much that because um, I mean, I know River City Chacha, I just didn't do it. Uh, they didn't do any. Did they do a drifter? I don't think they, yes, did. they did. Oh, which one was that? 
Did I already say it? Because I see Cowboy Chacha. I see Sidekick and River City and Continental Cowboy. Near the end. I guess I just didn't write it down. I see a two-step in there. Huh. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah. Dance Her Home. Yeah, and then Continental Cowboy. Yeah, it was in this area. Because hmm. I danced with Leah. Oh, interesting. I wonder if I was still talking with Keith at that time. Yeah, I figured he wouldn't watch it. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the night for the grad, and it was definitely one that we needed because we hadn't been back in a long time, like months. What were your thoughts on the grad? I had a lot of fun, actually. I very much liked how low-key of a night it felt and how few people were actually there, but there was still enough people there to have a pretty good-sized floor. Um, I was kind of shocked at some of the dances I did stay on the floor for, as well as how much enjoyment I got out of them. It was really nice seeing Keith again. Missed him. Um, And it was cool to be able to get to dance... At least um, Wednesday. Hopefully, I mean, we'll dance more tonight and then maybe possibly on Saturday. I'm not sure yet. Um, with Leah before she goes on her month-long trip. And it was cool seeing Carrie again. It's been a while since I've seen Carrie. And we had talked about the idea that, like, it's it had been a while since we had gone to the grad and so I was certainly more intrigued to go to the grad last night than Stoney's um, because I haven't been to the grad in so long. And it turned out really well. And like I said, I really enjoyed the fact that there was like no pressure there at all. Um, I didn't feel like I had to be on for anybody. I didn't feel... Um, like I had to behave. And the reason why I say behave is because um, Wednesday night at Stoney's is college night. And there's about, oh, I don't know, seven times the amount of clientele as normal. And it's a lot of people. And a lot of people with not a lot of room to spread out. And, like, events have a lot of people, but you can walk out the ballroom into a hallway and breathe um, if you ever feel like there's a lot of people. You can't do that, really, on one of the college nights at Stoney's because everywhere you go, there's people. Uh, So there's a lot more that I have to take into consideration about how I'm feeling and my mood and um, what's going to be emotionally and physically draining on me. Whereas the grad being the more low key night was like perfect. It was exactly what emotionally and physically I needed. Um, it was interesting to see some of the new dances that they've been teaching because it's been such a long time since we've been to the grad. So it was refreshing to see dances like Hooked and The Wolf and Chunky and Power Mix um, at the grad. Um, 
because like I know that some of those get played at Sony's because I go to Sony's more often. So it was nice to see that the grad had their own updated playlist that it wasn't the same, you know, 10 songs that everybody dances every week situation, which is really nice. Um, I think they're doing a really good job of bringing in new dances and keeping things fresh and staying interesting. So it was, I don't know, it was just a really good night. I had a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to teaching tonight and dancing at the Bay Area Boots and Buckles Connection on Friday. Um, Yeah, other than that... I think that's about it. Yeah. yeah, it was a really good night. I'm glad that we did it. Uh, it's probably smart that we don't do it as often as we did a couple summers ago. Uh, keeps things fresh. Uh, and also, if I don't dance everything out of my system at other places, it gives me more that I can look forward to at the places where we teach. Now we can play those like later in the night. Okie dokie. Well, the time is now 4.02 p.m. Thank you for sticking around slightly over time with us today. This has been Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and... Megan Barcelia. We thank you for listening, and until next time, we will see, see you on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor.